fun day. Hope you're ready to have some fun now that we got the high beams on. I have a quick announcement uh, for anybody who's parked illegally. We have a green Honda Accord parked in the back that is parked illegally and if you don't move soon it's going to cost you. So, and I have the license plate number is 5RXG790. Okay, so if that's your car, move it. We like to move it. It's good to see you guys. And uh, I also want to make another announcement that uh, for the first time today, we are streaming live on the World Wide Web. So say hello to the people on the World Wide Web. You know, uh, there are some people that, that uh, are very sick and can't make it to service. But we can get them online and they can be here with us. So why don't we give a big cheer and an applause to our brothers and sisters that are online. And uh, they get a chance to be with us. So if you're out of town, uh, I believe, uh, I believe uh, one of the brothers was in Las Vegas last weekend and he was able to watch the service on his cell phone. So there is an app for uh, your iPhone or for your Droid phone on Ustream that you can watch the service on your phone. Now, let's get something straight here before we go too far. That is not an excuse for you to miss the fellowship, okay, and everything that comes along with it. We need to be here, right? As for people who can't be here. Uh, so that's, that's a blessing. But today we're going to continue our, our part two of the series, Amazing Faith. And I shared uh, last week about the whole reason for this series is, is we've got to get more focused and more specific about how to grow our faith. And I shared last week about my visit to Mexico and with the 85 ministers. Our, our region here, if you're visiting here with us, doesn't only work with this group of people. We also mentor ministers in Mexico and Central America. Uh, and there are about 9,000 members and 38 churches. And a few weeks ago, I was in a, a, a meeting with 85 ministers. And one of the guys in the back, it was at the end of the day, I was a little fried, and he raised his hand and he said, so all this talk about faith, how specifically can I grow the, the, the faith of my members in the church? And I said, um, well, tell them to read their Bibles and to pray. The convicting thing was for me at that moment, it was one of those moments where I felt really bad that I didn't have it on the tip of my tongue. What do we need to do as a church to specifically help people grow their faith? We began a focus in the beginning of this year, and it's going to continue for the next ten years, and my prayer is that it will continue for generation to generation to be a faith-centered ministry in a faith-centered church. But what does that mean? And so today and, and last week we began focusing on 
the faith gainers. And we're going to call them the springboards of your faith. And they've done surveys of hundreds of churches and thousands of of disciples and Christians and really asked them on their faith journey in life, what are the things that God has used to grow your faith? And if you're visiting here with us today, this isn't just a message for the members of our church. This is for you. This is to help you because I'm positive, I'm absolutely certain that God has knocked on your door And He's going to continue to knock on your door. The question is, will you let Him in? And will you allow Him to grow your faith wherever it is now so that you can be what He wants you to be? And we talked about this last week. There are four Gospels written by four different authors and they give us a a, a point of view from their point of view about Jesus and they're they're different people. So they give us a different perspective. Same message but different perspective. And I appreciate that. And there were two occasions in all four Gospels, two occasions where Jesus' faith and where he was amazed at what he saw in people's lives. Now, coming from heaven, it would be a pretty, pretty big thing to amaze Jesus, right? I mean, think about that. To amaze Jesus after he's in heaven, he's seen the creation begin, he's seen everything unroll, I mean, come here on earth is like, you know, it's like watching a rerun. You know, you've seen it before, and it's not that impressive. But there were two occasions where Jesus was amazed at what he saw. And that's why we're focused on being that, having amazing faith. This is one of the occasions. This is when he met with a centurion, not even a a, a Jewish believer. But he had faith. And it says here in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew 8, verse 10, it says, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. First time that Jesus was amazed. And what amazed him? The faith. If you want to amaze Jesus, and that's one of my goals, I really want to amaze Jesus. And if if there's a possibility of amazing Him, I want to have that. And I want us as a church to amaze our Lord Jesus. But what it's going to take is great faith. Now, there was another time He was amazed, and we don't want to follow this example. In Mark 6, He went to His hometown, and Jesus said to them, Only in their own towns, among their relatives, and in their hometowns are prophets without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And what? He was amazed at their lack of faith. And you know why they didn't have faith? Because they they were familiar with Jesus. And they'd seen him as a little boy in their neighborhood and they were familiar with him. And they said, oh yeah, yeah, I know about Jesus. And they were cynical. And he could do no miracles. And he was amazed. Now, obviously, we don't want to follow this example. We want to amaze him on the positive side. And why is faith so important? Jesus had expectations. And those expectations were he wanted people to live their lives as if God could, could fully be trusted. And I ask you today, is that your faith? Or do you waver? And if so, you're like everybody else. There's times in my life where my faith wavers. But I want to be very specific, and as a church, I want us to be very specific about growing our faith. Gaining faith. 
And there are specific things that we can do to gain faith. And there are events in our lives where God is trying to help us gain faith. And he wanted people to live their life like God truly was with them. That was Jesus' expectation. And he wanted them to respond to circumstances of life knowing that God loved them and cared for them. And the only way you can do that is through faith. And the big question we asked last week, and we're asking again this week, how would someone that was you, how would someone like you respond if they were absolutely confident that God cares, loves, and will do as He has promised? How would that, what would that look like? And that's what we're after. We want to fill that picture frame. And be absolutely confident that God cares for us, He loves us, and He's with us. So let's begin. Jesus was was the first one, and this is what's distinctive about Jesus' message compared to all other religions. Look at this example in Matthew chapter 6. As He was teaching people how to pray. And you know what? I just got to share this. Friday night, the married men, uh, a number of us got together and prayed most of the night. And it was awesome. Uh, those of you that were there, raise your hand. Was it not awesome that we got together and, and prayed? I mean, it was an incredible time. And i got to share about one brother in particular. Uh, there was a transformation. You know, he walked in that night and kind of looked around. And, you know, you could tell he wasn't, wasn't in a good place. But after the night was over, he was changed. He was different. His faith had been lifted. And it was an incredible night. It's not going to be the last time that we do it. We'll do it again in the future. But I want to encourage you, when we have these times of prayer, be there. And yeah, you may lose sleep, but you can sleep anytime. There aren't that many times that you can spend the evening with your Father in prayer. But look what Jesus said about prayer in Matthew 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Now for a lot of us who grew up maybe in a Catholic environment or a traditional religion, we've heard this before. What's those first two words? Our Father. Not very impressive, is it? But you've got to remember, in the context of this time, this was blow away. No one dared call God Father. There wasn't that, that closeness, that intimacy. That just wasn't something you did. And so Jesus brought a revolutionary message To the world, he says, I want to invite you into an intimate, close relationship with God. So that you can call him your father. But any relationship requires the most essential ingredient in any relationship is what? Trust. You can't have a relationship without trust. And I've seen many relationships be broken because trust was broken. And so Jesus, that's why his primary message, his emphasis, most of what he talked about is believe. And you've heard it before. You must believe. But a lot of us don't really understand what that means. And we take it lightly like it's some creed or like it's an insurance program. And, oh yeah, I'm a believer. And we wear it around our neck. We hang it up on our house. But we don't really know and live what that means. And be careful when you say, I'm a believer. Because that implies a very big step and a very very big trust that we must put in God. 
But Jesus was the first one to use this. All relationships depend on trust and confidence. How's your confidence in God? Or in other words, faith. Knowing things about someone and having faith are two completely different things. And this is why many times when people try to pursue a relationship with God through knowledge, understanding, they don't get it. You will not know God on a, on a relationship level through knowledge. And I experienced this for firsthand when I went to uh, college. I took, a, I took a, a, a Bible class with a professor who studied biblical history. I mean, he knew the Bible. Very impressive knowledge. But as he gave the class and taught over the semester, I was like, this guy has no faith. Because he talked about doubts and, you know, you, really, you don't really know. And he basically, he, he hurt my faith through that class. After it was over, I'm like, this didn't help me at all. This actually hurt my faith. Because he was teaching from the perspective of knowledge, not relationship. And if we want to have great faith, what's that mean? It means a great relationship or a great confidence, a great trust in God. And that means you believe He's with you and you believe His Word and you trust it as the truth. And we're going to focus on that today, on how to build, how to gain faith. Jesus applauded great faith when He saw it in people. But when He saw doubt, like in His disciples when they were on the ship, last week we looked at a picture and we read the story of when Jesus was out on the, on the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and, and they were all crying, Jesus save us! He was taking a nap. He wasn't worried. Completely confident in a storm that God was going to take care of him. And he looked at the disciples and he said, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your faith? Don't you know that God cares about us? He cares about you? He's not going to let anything bad happen to us? And then he rebuked the wind and the waves and everything got calm. And they were blown away. Wow. And, and we see here that if we're truly going to, if, if God were truly with us, would you be afraid? How would you approach life when trials come? And I believe it's the responsibility of the church to help you on that journey, but it's also your responsibility to take care of your faith and cultivate and grow your faith. Why is it so important? Because we face a lot of challenges in life. And when you've got faith, you get through them and you come out better, stronger, deeper, and more appreciative for life than if you don't have faith. People who do not have faith, when they go through hardships, they get harder, they get worse, they get cynical, and life is not a gift. Life is is hell. And they resent it. And we don't want to live like that. That's why faith is so important. But what does this look like? And spiritual maturity, you've heard it talked about. Who's spiritually mature? And we think, well, the guy who knows a lot about the Bible, he is mature. It's important to know the Bible. But spiritual maturity, as the Bible defines it, is when you have great faith. And It's not how much you know, but it's how much your faith is growing on an ongoing basis. That's how the Bible determines maturity or spiritual strength. 
Growing your faith as a church, it's now our primary focus. In case you're wondering, what's my agenda today? What's the whole purpose of this service today? It's to grow your faith. Your faith group, what's the purpose of that? Why do we even call it a faith group? It's to grow faith. Faith partners, why do we call them faith partners? It's to grow faith. Everything is geared towards, focused on growing faith. And that needs to be our objective on a personal basis. I want to grow my faith. And this was Jesus' emphasis. This is what he focused on mostly is how is your faith? And if this is, this is also a primary need in our lives, and we're going to talk about that, it's the measure of our spiritual maturity and strength, and it defines our relationship with God. If you want to have a great relationship with God, guess what you need? Great faith. And Jesus had awesome, perfect faith. And that's why he was so close to God. And that is our primary focus, is to be close to God on an individual level. And what does God use to grow people's faith? And as I shared earlier, there's been studies done of churches, whole churches, and actually thousands of believers or disciples who shared what is the things that God, the ingredients, the dynamics that, that God uses to grow your faith. And that's what we're going to look at, five. Two of them we looked at last week. Okay? And look, we'll just go through all of them right here. Last week we looked at the first two which are the five springboards of faith. And have you guys ever been to one of those circus shows? They got them in, uh, in Vegas sometimes, or the ring, and they always have the springboard acts, you know, where you got two guys that'll jump on a seesaw, and they send the other guy way up in the sky, and he does triple back flips, and he lands up on a, on a, on a pyramid of four people. It's amazing. That's what, that's what these things do. They, they shoot you up as far as your faith. They have that potential. And that's what we look for. Practical teaching. That's the first one. We looked at it last week. We're not going to go through and study in our teaching in the church. We're not going to go through and study out books of the Bible, although that's important. But it's not going to be our primary focus in the church. Why? Because Jesus never took... He was in the, on the earth for three years. He never taught in that format. How did he teach? What were the way that he taught people the word of God? Anybody? Parables. Stories. Why? Why did he do that? Because he wanted to be practical in people's lives. Why is that so important? Because it's a springboard to grow your faith. And that's the way I was trained as a minister. I was trained in using the Bible in practical ways to help people with their lives. And therefore, to grow their faith. That's why, if you notice on Sundays, we have practical teaching on different things. And on Wednesdays. That's why we have marriage principles and parenting principles. And in the teen classes that Mike gives on Wednesday night, the focus is life. Truth be told. How are you going to deal with school? How are you going to deal with the, you know, the peer pressure? Etc., etc. And then number two... Providential relationships. We looked at this last week. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go on our website and listen to the class because it'll help you. We go into detail about these, these first two things. Providential relationships, what are they? Those are people that God has put in your life. And as they've asked people on their faith journey, what is it that God used to grow your faith? These things kept on coming up over and over again. Practical teaching and pivotal relationships. Providential relationships. 
Meaning, God puts somebody in your life to help you change, to give you direction. Think about it. How did you get here, and how did you get on your walk of faith? Did you come on your own? Someone more than likely brought you. And for all of us who are disciples, somebody touched your life, was there, directed you, taught you, and put you on the track to God. That's how God works to grow our faith. He uses people. He uses individuals. And we need to make sure that we build and cultivate those relationships in our church. How are we seated here today? Rows and aisles. That's not what we want. What we want in our church, and this is why we have faith groups, we want circles. The church is not about rows and aisles. The church is about circles. Why? Because we believe God is going to use your relationships to help grow your faith. But some of us are still in the traditional mindset of show up on Sunday, plop yourself down, and as soon as the last song's over, you're out of here, you're not connected. Let me tell you, you're in danger of not growing your faith. And then when the challenge comes, when the hardship comes, and we'll talk about that, you don't grow, you fall, and your heart gets hard. Providential relationships, they're huge. That's why we want teen leaders involved in our teens' lives, not just the parents, although the parents are crucial in the lives of their children. But there need to be other people, and that's why you college students, you need to make sure you're involved in each other's lives so that your faith can grow. And then number three, we didn't look at this last week, but this is the the first time we're going to talk about it, is private practices. Now, I'm not talking about the doctor's office or the anything like that. This is This is something that Jesus described. He called them... Acts of righteousness. And he talked about it on the Sermon on the Mount. Let's take a look at it. Private practices or disciplines. Jesus called them the acts of righteousness. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. When he's teaching his disciples and those people on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, look at what he says. But when you pray. Now, pretty important. When you pray, not if you pray. Some of us need to hear that. When you pray, meaning what? You do it on a regular basis. It's a discipline. It's a routine in your life. You do this all the time, daily, and not on the fly. Not as you're walking into work and you're opening the door. Okay, God, please be with me. Now, we're not talking about this. And he describes it. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to who? Once again. To the intimate, the Father who cares about you. And Jesus says, pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, He's being honest, and I appreciate this. He's saying this is a difficult thing to do, to pray to someone you can't see. He's making it clear here. He's stating the obvious. It won't be easy to pray to somebody you don't see. But you've got to push through that lack of seeing and then believe. And go to another level, another spiritual level. Then your Father, who sees what is done, where? In secret. Will reward you. These private practices, they help people grow their faith. This is where we get the chance not to grow in our faith and understand God on a corporate level, but on an individual level. This is what Jesus wanted us to do. Go in your room. 
and pray. And this is where it's going to be you and God on your own. And you're going to be, what if what Jesus is saying here in the second half of the verse, then your Father who sees what you're doing. What if Jesus is, what he's saying here is true? Now, I believe what Jesus is saying, 100%. But if you really stopped and thought about that, what if what he's saying is true, absolutely true? God sees you when you're praying on your own, in secret. He's watching you. Isn't that awesome? I believe that. But there's too many times I don't think about that. And to go away and say, I get some special time with God. We have a practice in our church, they're called quiet times. They're essential for our faith growing. And I, I'm concerned about different disciples because they see, they see quiet times as a to-do list. i got to have my quiet time instead of I get to talk to God. And He's going to watch me. He's going to listen to me. He's going to interact with me. And look what it says. He's going to reward me for that. And the reward may not be right away. And the most vivid description of this is, and I can remember it clearly, it was a pivotal time in my life. I was one year old as a disciple, college student. And I was home on Christmas break and parents were gone and I was all alone in the house. And so I had a quiet time. And I'm there in the living room on the carpet and I'm reading for the first time the book of 1 Samuel. And I'm learning about David, King David. And I was, you know, 22 years old, young man. And I was so impressed. And I was also reading this book in my quiet times, along with 1 Samuel, called The Tale of Three Kings. And this book was moving me because it shows how God used trials to refine and change people. And I did something really crazy that morning when I had my quiet time. I prayed to God because I saw it. You know, God's going to refine me through hardships and trials. One year old as a disciple, and I said, God, I want to give my life to you 100%. And if it means i got to grow, I want to grow. So put me through trials. I said it. I want to go through trials so you can use me, so you can shape me. And boy, I didn't realize what I said. But uh, I, had, I had built a relationship with this, uh, this sister in the church. On, in the campus ministry, and I, I would say that we liked each other a lot. We were on the verge of going steady. And it was the most incredible relationship up until that point that I'd experienced because it was pure. It was right. It was built on God. And I was so excited. But when I got back and I said that prayer, guess what happened to that relationship? She says... You know, my feelings have changed about us. I'm like, what? Yeah, I, I just don't feel it. And I was like, oh. And the worst thing of it all, she started to like a guy that I had studied the Bible with, reached out to, and brought to Christ. He's my best friend. Oh, you want to talk about heartache. And we lived in the dorms. 
you know, 50 guys to a floor. And we'd go to, we'd go to the cafeteria together, and there he was, there she was. And I'm like, oh, man, this is awful. And, you know, and I, and I go, you know, this is so... And then, then she started, you know, liking him. And then I said, this is so like much like the world. This is like a soap opera. I can't even believe this is happening. And it really did take me for a, a dip spiritually. One year old. But then I remembered the prayer that I prayed. And it was a fight spiritually. Six months later, the same girl comes back to me and she says, I'm feeling different. I want us to, you know, see if this relationship will work. And you know what I said to her? Now, I want you to know, for months, for months, I prayed that she would have a change of heart and that the relationship would work out. I prayed that. But at the end of those prayers, I said, God, let your will be done. And after a six-month period, I figured it out. She's not the one for me. And I asked God specifically to put me through trials and shape my life, open my eyes. And then I told her, I said, you know, I I don't think I want to be friends and all, but I'm not interested in a relationship right now. Now, I didn't say it, but what I meant was, I don't want a relationship with you. A few months later, she left the Lord. That was sad. But what I saw in all that, and on that day of prayer, God heard what I said and answered my prayer. Do you want to know how much my faith grew from that whole situation? It was at that moment when when she asked me and everything clicked, I I made the decision, I'm going to move to Boston and I'm going to get trained in the ministry. I'm giving my whole life to God and I want to be a missionary. Because of a quiet time. I still remember today where I was, what I said, what I was reading, everything. That was, and maybe it's not a big deal to you, but to me it was huge. It was a life moment. It was a game changer. And it happened in a quiet time. What if I'd have missed that quiet time that day? What happened to this week when you missed yours? And God had a special message to give you. And these are, these are things that will change you. And He's not only talking about prayer times, He also mentions the same thing that He's saying here when He talks to acts of righteousness. Fasting. And what else? There's one other. Giving. Meaning your contribution to the poor and to the church. It's between you and God. And sometimes we think we're giving to support the church so we can pay for the building and pay for all the stuff. It's not about that. It's a personal relationship, you and God. You give to show Him, I'm giving this by faith. And I want you to do something with this. And let me tell you what God's done with my contributions over the last 25 years. He has increased my faith. And I haven't been able to beat Him yet at giving. I give, He gives me ten times back. It's amazing. 
He's grown my faith through giving. He's grown my faith through fasting. He's grown my faith through prayer. So these private practices, God uses them to grow our faith. Regular quiet times, fasting, giving. These personal times create things, create a context where God interacts with us on an individual level. This isn't about jumping up and down and and like a rocket. That's awesome and that's fun. Okay? But what Jesus wanted to invite us to is something personal. Something individual. But you've got to be vested in that. And I've seen too many Christians, disciples, little by little, erode their faith because they don't see it as an individual thing. They see it as a corporate thing. That is not what our church is about. It's individual. It's you and God. And He wants to interact with you when you pray. And then number four, pivotal circumstances. And then they, they did these, these surveys and these, these, these studies on people and their faith journey. This thing kept coming up over and over again, that God used this to grow people's faith. What is it? My parents got a divorce, things like that. Someone close to me died. I've got a daughter or a son that was a prodigal daughter. They went through a really bad time. Uh, he or she left me. You know, those hard things, sometimes they're really good things, but the majority of the time they're hard things. They're pivotal circumstances. Can you go back in your life and think of the pivotal circumstances that God knocked on your door and got you thinking? These big events in people's lives and faith journeys have the potential to grow our faith. And in the big moments... Sometimes good, they're mostly bad in people's lives. Everyone, whether, and I'm sorry for the misspelling there, atheists, that's wrong. Agnostics, or even believers in different religions or whatever, they all talk about those big moments. They call them aha moments, where your whole world is, whoa, something's happening. All these people, you know what they do? Whether they're atheists or not, they always look up. Even for a minute, they'll look up and they'll ask the question, what's going on? What are you doing? See, God created all of us with an inherent accountability to what goes on in our life. And as I talked about last week, most of the hardship, 80 to 70% of the hardship and trials that go on in our lives are self-inflicted. Only 20 to 30% of the hardships that we go through are circumstances outside of our, our doing. Most of them are created by you and me putting ourselves in situations hard-headed and we create disaster for ourselves. We build the house that falls in on us. But when these things happen, they're opportunities to grow our faith. But the reality is, many people lose their faith when, faith when these aha moments come. Look at this scripture. James, Jesus' brother wrote this in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, in other words, hardships, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. You know what perseverance is? Let me break it down for you. Perseverance means I'm going to trust you anyway, God. 
I believe in you anyway. I'm going to obey you anyway. Even though things aren't working out for me, I'm pushing through. I believe. That's what Jesus did on the cross for you and me. None of it made sense. Why so much hate? Why does it have to be like this? And he persevered. In other words, he stood by his faith. And you and I need to grow in our perseverance. And the only way we're going to grow in our perseverance is through what? Hardship. Sickness. May mean hospitalization for some of us. And those things God allows so that we can grow our faith. They have the potential to grow our faith. And that's why we need to look at hardships in life. When we're, if we're a people of faith, we need to look at hardships as opportunities. Man, I get to grow. I know that's crazy, but it's real. You get to grow. If you're going through a hard time right now in the economy and, and life is a, is a mess, you can't find a job, you get to grow. Consider it a pure joy. That's what James is saying here. Jump up and down. Because you're about to grow. You're about to fly in your faith. And trust God in spite of it all. The make it or break it factor. When we have pivotal circumstances. Who do we surround ourselves with to help us frame what's going on in our lives? This is the difference between people who grow and other people who get their legs swept out from under them and they fall flat on their back and they never get up. That's the difference. Who do you have in your life that can help you frame, frame what God's doing in your life? Do you have spiritual people can say, Hey, Alex, God has given you the opportunity to change and to be transformed. If we don't have those people in our lives at those crucial moments, and let me tell you, one of the reasons why I'm standing here today is because I'm surrounded and I've been surrounded for many years with people that have helped me frame hardship. And I'm not saying my life has been despair all the time. I went through challenges. You've gone through challenges. You, you will either grow or you will go down. And that's why it's so important for us to have spiritual people of true faith, not false faith, true faith. That means they really believe what the Bible says. And they're not saying to you in pat words. These are people that really believe it. And when these things happen, they can be there, and we can be there for each other to guide one another through those hardships. My concern is, is that we don't have enough people in our lives that are going to help us get through hardship. And that's why as a church, our, our main thrust is our small groups. Even in the teen ministry, there are small groups, TBTs they call them. In the campus ministry, they call them D groups, right? Or faith groups. Or, or, or D groups, right? That's what you call them on the campus. Thanks. In the marriage ministry, we call them faith groups. In the singles ministry, what do they call them? Family groups. It's all the same. That means you're going to be there for each other. And you know there's always somebody in that faith group who's going through a hard time, right? And we all got to rally around them, help them get through it so they can grow their faith. It's a pivotal circumstance. God forbid you go through a hardship and you've got nobody by your side. And let me tell you this. It's not the church's fault you don't have someone by your side. 
If you're not there to give, how are you going to expect someone there to be there for you? It's a two-way street. And you know why Judas fell where he was? Because he isolated himself. Even in Jesus' circle. It was possible to isolate yourself. And that crucial time, where were the apostles? Where were them to help him? And say, Judas, you blew it. But you can get forgiven. He was isolated. Peter, on the other hand, if you remember, he had relationships around them. After, his, after he betrayed Jesus, he still had James and John and the other apostles there were with him. And they were able to stabilize his faith. Then the Lord came and helped him out and restored his faith. I mean, there's so many great examples. But you've got to have people in your life during those crucial times. And then number four, number five, and we'll finish here. Matthew 14. And this is something that all of us need to be involved in, in a personal ministry. And if you're visiting here with us, we don't want you to be an attender of church. Not interested in that. We want you to be someone who's involved in the personal ministry. Has something. Notice the dancers up here? That's a ministry. The singers is a ministry. The teen ministry is a ministry. Leading a group is a ministry. And we've got different examples. But look at this example in Matthew chapter 14. Now, this was a... Let me frame it for you a little bit. This was an example. Jesus had thousands of people following him. And they were in a remote place. And Jesus' Jesus' apostles came to him, his disciples came and said, send these people away, we're in a remote place, and they're going to starve to death, and we're going to have people that die on the way. So send them home. And look what he says. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. Away they do not need to go. You give them something to eat. Why did he do this? And then they brought five loaves of bread and two fish. They said, here, look at what we have. How can this possibly feed? What was Jesus doing here? He was testing their faith. And Jesus did this all the time with the apostles. And he may do it with you. But unless you have a personal ministry, guess what? Your faith will not be stretched. Give you some examples. Faith group leaders. People that step up and lead these small groups. It's a step of faith. It's not an easy thing to lead a small group because you've got to deal with people. And people have their ups and downs. And, and sometimes people are different and complicated. And you've got to help them out. And you have to lead them. Well, I don't want to go in this direction. I want to do this. Okay, listen. This is where we're going. Okay? And sometimes it's difficult. But what we're going to be doing and what we've done in the marriage group is we've multiplied the faith group leaders by four. So in a faith group, there's not one leader, there's four. And we want to rotate the responsibility. In the faith group, there's the evangelistic leader, and then there's the shepherd leader, and then there's the needs leader, and then there's the hospitality. That's a lot of leaders. Where are the Indians? All chiefs, no Indians. No, the point is, is having, the point is, is having people that can help serve in the group. That way everybody shares in the responsibility. But when you step up and lead, guess what happens? It stretches your faith. I remember the first time that I was asked, as a young disciple, two months old, and I shared, again, I opened my big mouth, went to the campus ministry, campus minister, and I said, hey, I think we need to grow in our relationships. 
I think you should do a lesson on relationships, how we can get closer. He said, you do the the class. I said, what? I've never done a class. He said, yeah, you do it. I'll help you. And so, you know, in my stupidity, I shouldn't open my mouth, but I did. And then he said, okay, I'll set it up. And then it was... A couple Sundays down the road, I got a class together, and it was a Sunday school. We had Sunday school then. What I didn't know, and our campus ministry was about 20 or 30 college students at that time, 20 college students. And uh, I didn't know this, but all the people that are visiting church that day came to the class that we had. So there was 100 people there. And man, I was just sweating. I was pouring. I was so nervous. I wasn't a public speaker. I didn't know how to do that. Never done it before in my life. I was so nervous. But you know what that did? It made me stretch my faith and I prayed a lot. And I've seen how God has used those situations of a personal ministry to stretch my faith and help my faith to grow. My concern is some of you are in a position of convenience right now in your walk. You're not doing that much. You're not serving. There's not much community service going on. There's not much service going on in the church. And I appreciate people in the in the in the music ministry, but some of them are doing double duty. They're doing the music ministry and they're leading a faith group and they're doing the ushering. And they're doing a lot of stuff. But blessed are them. Sometimes they can go, Well, I'm doing all the work. No, you get all the blessing. Because you get to grow your faith. My concern is for people who don't do a lot. I appreciate our Kingdom Kids teachers downstairs. Because they are forced to stretch their faith. they got to get here early. And they got to serve and they got to give. But man, when they come out of there, their faith is stronger. And they know what it is to, to give in their faith. And that's what Jesus did on a very consistent basis. I want to invite you today to find a personal ministry that you're going to be involved in and serve and give. Everybody, every member, teen, college student, single, I don't, it doesn't matter. You've got to find a ministry where you can serve. Why? So you can grow your faith. And that's what they found on these people that have, and, and going on member missionary trips is a huge thing too because there's people that don't like to fly. And they got to pray before they get on the plane. God helped me to get there safely. And they come back and God took care of me. And their faith is stronger. We also, a need that we have is we need more teen leaders. I can share from personal experience. One of the great faith gainers in my life was the day that I signed on to be a teen mentor. And it changed me. I had to give more of myself to those teens than any other time in my life. And it changed me. My faith grew so much. So I want to invite some of you to consider being a teen leader and serving in the teen ministry. I appreciate so much Mike and Ayumi and Reuben and Evie. Where are they? Are they here today? Reuben, they're on vacation? They probably needed it. They're They're helping with the Latin teens. But you know why Mike has grown so much? You heard him speak a few weeks ago. You know why he's grown so much? Even his dad doesn't recognize him. Because he stretched his faith. He was willing to lead Mount Sack. He was willing to step up and be in the teen ministry and stretch his faith. And Ayumi, the same thing. They're both growing. 
But some of us are holding back. I don't know if I want to do that. You don't know if you want to grow your faith. And you won't grow your faith sitting there. You want to grow your faith? Step up and serve in some capacity. Start small and grow it and watch God work. Okay, let's hit these last, these springboards of faith one more time and we'll close out. Number one, practical teaching. Make sure that you have practical teaching in your life and that you get as much as possible. That means you may need to read some books on top of reading your Bible. You want to understand, you want God to communicate with you. Providential relationships, private practice. That means you and God, the disciplines of praying, reading your Bible, giving on a consistent basis, financially, your first fruits to God and watch Him work. Pivotal circumstances. Now, we can't create pivotal circumstances in the church, but what we, what we can do is create relationships so when they do happen, we'll be there. And then the personal ministry. And we want to grow the opportunity for there to be more of these types of ministries in our church. But today, my goal and my, my long-term goal is for your faith to grow. That's what Jesus wanted. That's what He called people to do. I want to see you grow. I want to see you thrive in your faith. How badly did Jesus want this? Look at what He says here in John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Me. My Father, my Father's house has plenty of rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to, I would not have told you to go in there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me also. You know how badly Jesus wanted to convince us that he was trustworthy? He died on the cross for you. No one. No one ever has. No one ever will. Show that much trustworthiness. He took the first step. He took the initiative with you. This is how badly and this is how, how much I want you to trust me. And so when he said these words, trust me, trust in God, he backed it up. And he, didn't, he wasn't saying these things, you know, well, you'll go to heaven, it'll all be nice. No, he crossed over. He went from death back to life and said, I've been there and I've come back. Trust me. The only one who's done that. No one else, no other teacher, no other prophet has crossed over and then come back and said, hey, I know what it's like. Trust in me, follow me, and I'll take you there where I'm going. As we take the communion this morning, I want to encourage you. This is how badly Jesus wants to grow your faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for clear, practical steps on how to grow our faith. I do pray you'll help us to get outside of our comfort zone and 